SAFM. And we welcome Susan Groves uh, to talk to us about uh, core process psychotherapy. Susan, welcome to Otherwise, and thank you for joining us. Hello, Shadow. I'm Johnny. I'm Planje. Ha! I'm Johnny. Yes, I'm Johnny. Okay. Now, that was a left turn I didn't expect. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Now, I worked in the Eastern Cape for about 10 years or so and was very beautifully taught there by some people. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so happy for you because it's yeah. always a good thing to learn an extra language. Oh, it's brilliant. Because you connect with people better. Hey? Yeah, for sure. And you can get to the core of the... <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to the core too well in Tosa, but... <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, what, what, why core process? What is it? Yeah, I'll try and say... It's quite a lot to do with the body, and I was aware a moment ago of my beating heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came to it through, because I'm getting older now, a first training in social work, and that took me into development work, and then um, theology and being an Anglican priest for five years in the Eastern Cape uh-huh. with the first batch of women who were let in, so they just speak. Congratulations. Well, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and then um, got introduced to Buddhist uh, meditation and through that heard of a, a psychotherapy training that was offered that's kind of derived from the Buddhist lineage. Mm-hmm. So lots of words like compassion, awareness, presence, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, the kind of territory we're working in rather than a lot of um, psychological theory that can get one a bit too heady, I find, for myself. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't probably got the brains for it. <laughs> so, whole process... Go ahead. Um, it emphasizes living closely with yourself as a practitioner and then offering that to the client. So that's quite precious because one can, in the field of being a health professional or a caring person or um yeah you can you can almost give too much and lose a sense of ground so a lot of emphasis on staying centered and finding ways of doing that and from that space offering presence to another where the territory can also be beyond words sometimes well, you know, recently it's it's become it's become um, popular now. People are talking more and more about uh, being present and, and finding themselves and living an authentic life. And mm. you know, um, talk about compassion, as you say, and awareness and, and, and presence. I I just wonder: have we? Is there a shift that's happening? In the world, is there a shift that's happening universally with with uh, us going back to the core, if you like, uh, and going back to who we who we were before we were domesticated into this kind of mm. life we live? Mm. I think that that sounds right to me. I think there's also a big swing, and I see it in myself or feel it towards creativity, and certainly the whole thing of the word embodiment when it's coming across a lot more these days but I think all those things kind of can take practice for most of us Mm -hmm. so in that sense doing a training which was a long one seven years in core process psychotherapy you're just practicing paying attention 
but not in a way that's kind of zoning in on the person and making them feel maybe a bit trapped, mm -hmm. but kind of quite a, a spacious form of attention where information kind of arises almost subliminally and it's, it's very... It's what quite, what quite, information? Well, I might be sitting quietly with somebody or not so quietly and it, it, it quite often is through the body that I might say get a sense of tenderness in my heart space. Mm -hmm. And that would generally just sort of alert me, okay, maybe what we're saying here doesn't feel that tender, but maybe there is a real tenderness to, to the territory that the person is in with me. Mm -hmm. um, but all sorts of knowing really sometimes just almost like a whiff of sadness that doesn't look as though it's in the room, but it's, it's almost kind of tuning in to another level that's, that's below the cognitive, which, as you suggest, is what we all do and can do, but we, we very often override it by getting too smart or something like that. Or wanting to, to have a system, and life is not a system. Yes, yeah. or wanting to be helpful, you know, and yeah, people are looking for that. But um, sometimes the help maybe looks different from what you might expect. Hmm. You know, the, I see there's a short course that is being offered here. It's Mr. Davi lived a short distance from his body. Yes. <laughs> this is quite a cute quote here from James Joyce. Mr. Yes. Davi lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> and, and, and as you mentioned earlier that you, you, you bring yourself closer to yourself through uh, the core process psychotherapy. Is that what it does? Um, yes, I feel it's, it's very rich living kind of in quite good contact with yourself and being able to just be aware when even a body sensation arises and not to try and figure, oh, I'm feeling that because of that, but just bring a light awareness and then everything is changing and passing. I actually was on the air listening to the, to the lunch bite. Mm -hmm. And that made me think of also um, creating a life of ease, which yes. is what I think we all long for, as opposed to what the lunch bite was talking about a bit about or critiquing sense of rigidity, things being fixed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we, we're so far gone into our lives and into our lifestyle and may not even recognize that we are living a short distance from our bodies. Yes. Um, and, and probably very comfortable to to die in this state. Why is it important to to change our lives and be more authentic? Mm. Um, well, I guess it's like everything. It's just a choice one hopefully will make at some time. Mm. And often I think it does come from sort of left field, something you just didn't expect sort of startles you a bit. Um, do you think there's some things we miss in our lives uh, that would be made clearer? And you said you get messages that would make clearer and make our lives easier and more, more, um, what? As I said, clearer maybe, you know, why are we here? Why we have this life that we do have? Because yeah. those questions come up, I suppose, with everybody. So yeah. would would then the 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 core process assist us to to have those clearer messages um, of our lives? Yes, I think some people 
would come to something like core process psychotherapy, which can be weekly over quite a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, as the sort of the work settles and trust grows, I think you do find. I mean, quite a few people come who aren't quite sure where their lives want to go, and that is a space needing a lot of courage. And then just feeling and using the body as well, like what might be beckoning me at this time? Mm-hmm. And when I think of that, what happens? Is there an anxiety or is it actually an excitement? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a lot about um, and slowing down. And often it's hard to do that unless there's somebody slowing down with us. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. what, what the space can offer. Mm-hmm. So tell me what your sessions, who do, what sort of people do you see? Or, or do, the, do you see a variety of people? And what happens? What sort of treatments do you give them? What sort of, how do you guide them? How, what are you teaching them? Yeah, we don't, we don't practice meditation, but in core process we sometimes say it's like a two-person awareness practice. Two-person um, two awareness practice. So rather than sitting on one's cushion on one's own, noticing what's going on in your mind and thoughts and body, mm-hmm. you're inviting that with another person. So quite an emphasis on the present moment. I might quite often ask, so what's happening now? And then the person might just pause and say... Well, what might they say? I can't think of it. They may so. say, I'm, 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 what, are you, do you ask them what's happening in their, in, in their minds or what, what's happening as they sit with you? I would quite often, but maybe only after it seems appropriate for the person say, do you notice anything happening in your body now that you've told me that story? Mm-hmm. And they might say, yeah, I just feel looser now or there's a sudden sense of a headache. And then it's, that's not a big deal. Again, it's, it's like everything is included, including joy, by the way. <laughs> Let's talk about joy. Yeah, <laughs> Let's talk about joy. How do I stay joyous all the time? Or, or is it possible to yeah. always be joyful? Yeah. Well, if I sort of respond from the, the psychotherapy space, people often feel that you, you just bring the mess and the misery to psychotherapy. Yes. And they're bit amused when I'm sort of on the lookout for, oh, you enjoy singing, or the things that kind of, you can, that are really yummy for you, and kind of leaning into those, encouraging the person to practice those, I think that's a way of of building joy, Mm. and often they're the silliest things, hey? (laughs) Like Like hiding a cupboard, taking a walk, just just old-fashioned good stuff, really. Yeah, things that don't, you don't have to think. Easy things, yes. as you said, easy things. Because if, if life is easy, then, you know, you, I suppose you find more joy uh, doing those things. How about relationships? Because I think the joy for me would be able, would be um, being able to, to cohabitate with other people mm. in, a, in a very easy way that we're talking about yeah. so it mustn't be stressful it mustn't be you know fearful it you know uh, I must be able to communicate with people yeah. without, without f- feeling heavy about it yeah that's a big one in our time too yes and corpus is sometimes called um, mindfulness in relationship what's it called mindfulness in relationship mindfulness in relationship yeah. okay 
So that's certainly what people might, you know, bring in the session, talking about how their intimate relationships are going. Or sometimes when one becomes, gets into a new relationship or something good happens, how that actually throws us badly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just starting to notice that, um, you know, that something good happens and the wheels might completely come off. <laughs> oh, really? Um, which is kind of sad, but it's, if one can be on the lookout for that, then hopefully one can protect the good things that want to happen mm-hmm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in, in general awareness, there's this thing I teach in, in one of my trainings called 50-50. And it's like when you're with another person, not giving them 100% of your attention, giving them 50% and giving yourself 50%. Mm. And it's, I say it's like sort of patting your head and rubbing your tummy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's quite, it kind of stays with some people anyway, and it's, it's quite intriguing so that if you find, oh, you're getting just totally lost in a conversation with somebody or overwhelmed or exhausted, just kind of clocking that in yourself and then maybe just saying, hey, and I say this in sessions with people as well, hey, let's say we just take a pause here or should we take a breath? Mm. And just, whew, you know, like cool it for a yeah. second. Yeah. So staying, yeah, if one can, close to oneself, even in, in relationship, but it's, it takes practice, but it's, it's very rewarding. Now, how about the, the state of our country right now? Because we have a lot of challenges in the country, especially uh, uh, relationships with ourselves, you know, with individuals or people you don't know. But not, not everyone is welcoming, not everyone. And people have to watch themselves so many times because it, people are sensitive. People are as short fuses all out there. How... how does one as a, deal with all of that? Can can psychotherapy help the country and its its mm. its people live a better life? Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to do some more writing now because I do feel, and people are telling me that this core process is good for the planet. <laughs> mm. I must say, if I think of the country, I feel feel good in myself, and yes. I'm. You know, if you ask me what inspired me, it's young South Africans very often, mm-hmm. um, as well as older ones. Um, but, yeah, we're in a different time from the difficulties that I grew up with. I think there's quite a challenge um, to wealth and to power. Mm-hmm. And so if people come and see me who have got at least one of those, I'm more than comfortable hanging out in that space. Because mm-hmm. I think it can kind of one of it. Um, I, I hear what you're saying about younger people because I think, you know, we, 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 we complain about the youth and say they're ungovernable and, you know, they, they don't listen to their parents anymore. They do their own thing. But I think it's because they're breaking away from the cycle that we, we grew up in. And I suppose then because they, they're finding themselves easier. They don't have to deal with the issues we had to deal with as young mm-hmm. people. So uh, maybe that's them forcing this new energy in. Okay. I would like the sense that a, a lot of them just go for it with projects, you know, starting a backpackers in Soweto or whatever. Mm. And, yeah, that I feel just shows the way. I think that's going to be the way of the future, of finding what we love and doing it, even if it's 
doing a few different things at once. Mm-hmm. So and with racism, you know, I feel in core process, a big word is inquiry mm-hmm. and sort of curiosity. So I often think of myself at a party in England and there were a group of French people sort of in the corner. It was actually like a garden wedding. And nothing would have persuaded me to go near this group of French people because I didn't know French. I just felt I didn't know their world. And that's sometimes been helpful for me to reflect on like it wasn't that I was a bad person or anything. I just was dead shy actually. Mm, mm. And I sort of quite long for us to be more interested in the bumps and things that happen in our relationships and like also bring humour to them. Because in the end our contact is so rich and beautiful. Yeah. It's who would mm. be without it? Mm. That word inquiry, I've heard it uh, used, and I think it was, it's, I think it was in Scientology, because they do inquiries, don't they? Do you know, maybe? No, I don't. Okay, so what did you mean by your inquiry? Um, the core process, yeah, sometimes spoken about an inquiry, um, more like this question, well, what is this? Mm. So even if a person says to me, oh, gee, I'm feeling... So, so um, I'll use the word anxious again. Yes. People tend to use it. I'm feeling so anxious now. Then I would try and pick, pick up what what do you mean by that? Because mm. these words are all shortcuts. And quite quite a few times it turns out what we're calling anxiety is more like a fizzing in our tummy, which is also very close to and maybe closer to excitement. Mm. So just almost making everything and I'm making sort of movement with my hand now like feeling the texture of something more and not just jumping to think we know even our own stories because mm. we sometimes it feels we've become so literate with I know myself and what's going on even if we're 14 <laughs> which is <laughs> wonderful but we can almost think it a bit stuck in the storyline and there can be a whole nother Mm, going on wow. just below that. Now, tell me about this uh, short course that you are giving, Living from the Body. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I offer a longer course training in contemplative therapeutic practice, that's what I call it. But when I, when I talk sometimes about being more in our bodies, people quite understandably might just draw a blank on that. So I thought, well, let me do a little course just six sessions um, starting 18th of February called Living from the Body. Mm-hmm. And it will be quite playful, quite practical. Um, we might be with a different part of the body each session, maybe with different activities, maybe one week be mindful of when we, when we bath or something like that. So it will be quite practical, quite playful, but quite important I mm, think mm. and 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 after the course uh, what sort of what sort of uh, person walks out of there are they feeling better about themselves or do they understand themselves better uh, after the, the the six weeks yeah I think I hope they'll be feeling joyful mm. and interested in in the mystery of their bodies and the very quiet whispers it can give um, and it becomes another dimension, really, another tool for living. And they would have made lovely friends, because working in a group has that, that dimension also. And they, they, they would have uh, uh, met you, most importantly, because I think they'd be very inspired after spending some time with you. 
<laughs> now, when where is the course? It will be. I, I work from where I live in Plumstead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They shall be run there. Okay. And I've got a website that... Um, Please give it to us. Please give us the website. Yeah. com. That's G-R-O-V-E-S and Susan, S-U-S-A-N. Okay, susangroves.com. And uh, all the information is on there. Yes. Well, fantastic. Can I say a few more, just one or two things that I wrote down that I'd like to include? Okay. Yeah just as I was sort of preparing for the interview. Go ahead. There's something about resting in the unconditioned. So one is doing this work, but almost a sense of one's resting. Some might see it as the ancestral realm, but in, in a wider intelligence. So it's not me trying to even help somebody. It's the help is there and waiting for us. Okay, you're just uh, a channel. That word is a... I don't re- wouldn't really use that word. Well, well, more that me and the other person or people are being supported by the unseen, if you like. Oh, okay. And the other was that there's, there's a tenderness in the work. And then a quote from Hafiz, the Persian poet: "You will love again the stranger who was yourself." Oh wow, we've run out of time, but I well, love that I one. That you will love again the stranger that is yourself. Yeah, you will love again the stranger who was yourself. Who was yourself. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's been great. Thanks, Shadow. Yeah, Bulela. Bye-bye. It is now time for Headlines with Stephen Coker. Otherwise, on SAFM. Stephen? I'm not sure if Stephen Coker is there, but uh, we'll, we'll continue now to... Um, in fact, we'll take just a piece of music and then uh, uh, come back to speak with uh, Terry Oakley-Smith. Otherwise, on SAFM. And welcome to Terry Oakley-Smith, educational psychologist and founder and managing director of Diversity. Terry, hello, welcome, thank you for joining us. Hello, Shadow, how nice to be speaking to you. No, thank you very much. It's lovely to talk to you. How's your year started? Very well, actually. I'm sort of relaxing in Cape Town for a while. You're lucky, girl. uh, Yes, (laughs) Um, but fine and looking forward to uh, another year of working with my team and working at Transformation. Well, you know, education is all we've been talking about since uh, people came back from because of the metric results. But I I was wondering, uh, are we the only country that makes such a big deal of high school and the end of high school and metric? You know, I don't think we're we're the only country, but I must say that we seem to be a country that really goes overboard um, in terms of this one particular exam. Mm. And I think it's um, unfortunate in a way because we we seem to regard it as an event rather than a process. Mm. And I think this makes it very difficult, um, particularly for those children that don't pass matric and, and then are left feeling like abject failures. Yes. Um, and it's also difficult, of course, uh, for parents who, you know, seem to have huge anxiety building up to this. Um, and I think it's important that we realize it's just one step in the process of life. It's not the be-all and end-all. Do you know, I, I thought I was, I was just an okay mom who would, you know, would deal with any eventuality as far as uh, the exam was concerned because my daughter was writing. 
And uh, when we went and fetched the results yesterday, guess who broke down? Uncontrollably, yes. myself. But congratulations, Shannon. Well, you know, but but I didn't expect it. I surprised myself. So maybe I was in denial, but this is what happens to most parents. I think it really is, and I think that, you know, we, we, we do seem to make, I believe, you know, far too much of it. Um, um, and I do think it puts this huge unnecessary pressure obviously on, on the children or the young um, adults, the adolescents who are writing the exam, mm. um, and also obviously on the parents and also on the teachers. Um, and I don't think it really needs to be like this. I mean, there are many children, of course, who, who've left and dropped out of school long before they even get a chance to write the trick. Well, I was going to say, uh, do, you think, do you think the pressure is what makes some of the children drop out? Um, well, I think it's a whole host of things, Shadow. I think the, you know, the, the, the inequality of our education system means that some children are, are struggling to, to really get a proper education, mm. especially in some of our more rural areas. Um, and I think that the, the pressure seems to build up, particularly in grade 12. So mm. children that drop out along the way, I think it's other reasons rather than the pressure of matric. Um, the children that, you know, that find it impossible during year 12, obviously that has to do with the pressure of matric. Hmm. So, Terry, the, the, they've passed, they're going on to their next phase. Uh, what is going on in their heads or how should they be preparing themselves? Because now, especially after passing, they feel like they've achieved, they, they've arrived, actually. You know, they, they can make their own decisions. They, you know, they can play around. Um, but what should they be thinking? What should they be considering at this point? Because of the pressure again at high school, I've done well, I don't want to see a classroom again, maybe somebody's uh, attitude. But how should these young people be preparing themselves for their next phase? I think it's, it's really a two-way preparation because I think it's a, a preparation for the young person um, who's, if they're going on to, to, to tertiary education perhaps, it's understanding that the kind of spoon feeding that they got at school mm. isn't going to apply any further and that the time has come for them to take much more personal responsibility in terms of where they want to go with their life and what they want to do and what they want to study. Mm -hmm. But also for, for, the pet, for parents of matriculants that are, you know, going on to tertiary education, it's also moving on to a different phase in their own lives where their child is becoming a, a young adult, where, where the child is going to be wanting to make more and more of his or her own decisions, mm -hmm. um, and where, you know, a different and more adult life is, is beginning to pan out for this young person. And that can be very difficult for parents. Um, especially if the children are the last-born child or mm. the only child, then I think it, you know, it can be a time where you know, both the parents and the child need to do a lot of thinking and planning for, for, for the moving on that, that inevitably accompanies this phase. So we have a conversation about this coming year. Is that what we're talking about now, that we, we need to sit down, both children and parents, to, to, to plan together or individually? I think that there needs to be um, planning together. I mean, I think that the, the child will obviously, or the young adult will, will have in their mind, especially if they are going on to a tertiary um, institution, some idea of what they want to do. But Shadow, in my years of working at VITS, I found very often that 
youngsters came into the university with really no clue about what was offered in various degrees and you know what the outcome could be of studying um, certain subjects for certain years. So ideally, the planning process should be should have started uh, long ago when mm. the child was going into high school. Mm. But I mean, I do recognise that because of our past, many parents themselves haven't had the opportunity for education. So it's obviously very difficult for them to help their children plan. But I think whether it's specific planning or whether it's just you know, recognizing that the child is moving into a new phase of development and that the parent will always be there and will always be caring, but has also to let the child go. And we have to let our children also make mistakes. Sometimes they decide to do the wrong courses. Sometimes they fail at the end of the first year um, and they have to change courses or go to another institution or even drop out. And we have to be prepared to be there with them whatever this might hold and you know we have different cultures and different values in the country and as you said some parents never actually got to school and the child may be the first one to finish Absolutely. high school and pass then though they are they they are almost forced to continue and go to university and study a particular degree because that's what the family wants they just want the pride and 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 then the child probably doesn't get to choose what they want because we need a doctor in the family so you're going to go and study medicine if you if you even you know that you, you're going to go to tertiary and I mean I know so many people of my own generation and you must too shadow and even as you say of, of this generation who may be the first you know the first person in the in, in the family to go to university and the pressures mm. the financial pressures um, on people who are the first in their family and also the can I call it the prestige pressures yes to be you know, the example that we've always wanted in our family are, are enormous. And that, that's a whole other thing because, you know, it might be that the child has other aspirations, may not even want to go to a university, may want to be a musician, yes. painter, <laughs> a writer, may want to travel. But somehow, you know, the pressure of being the first in the family to have the opportunity mm. makes it very difficult to not, not to take up the opportunity. And, and, and you hear conversations like, you know, we, we, we de deprived ourselves of so much just to put you through school. Now, now you want to go and take a gap year? Exactly. You know, and what does gap year really mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I think it, it means many things. I mean, my, my own son um, left, left school and went um, to the rural Eastern Cape and worked for a year in a, in a rural school, learned to speak Corsa and, and so on. And so that was a very particular, different kind of a gap year. Mm -hmm. Other kids will go um, and travel um, or go and live in different places. Um, I'm, I think that gap years uh, can be useful for children who maybe are young, matriculating, or who are going to do something very specific, like, say, go and work somewhere for a year and contribute, give back to South Africa or whatever country they feel committed to, mm -hmm. hopefully South Africa. But if it's just, you know, a, a time spent kind of playing, I think it becomes quite problematic because mm. at the end of that year, when you haven't really had any responsibilities, if you haven't taken on some kind of work or some kind of volunteering, it's very difficult to get back into the routine of studying and learning and, 
you know, it, it just is very difficult once you've had that space in between. That's a, you know, it's a new thing because when I grew up, there was no gap year. You had to go and do something, you know. I think it's also a cultural thing. I mean, a cross-cultural thing, a diversity thing. I mean, I think for, for many white children growing up, there would have been that expectation that they could have a gap year. And the gap year would have involved them traveling, mm. you know, to America, to Europe, you know, having fun just sort of chilling out and at whose expense at Terry? their parents expense oh my goodness no at their parents expense and now i think what happens is that you know for all children who, who go to private schools or model c schools there's this notion of a gap year and and maybe it isn't you know appropriate anymore i'd love to have a volunteering year where where people who, yes. who matriculate all volunteer to do something, whether it's in a rural area or an informal settlement or doing something to give back. And that would make sense for me. It needs a structure. Exactly. Exactly. Because it just can't be an open year I where, know. you know, especially while you live under my roof. And, and I'm paying for you. And I'm paying for you. <laughs> and in fact, you, 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 you just treat me like you're your no 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 <laughs> just won't work so if we had the structure that gap year and i think it's a wonderful idea that must be spoken about again because i i think a gap year is good if only if it's structured as you said and but who would need to structure that would would it have to be a private company or maybe the parent it's time parents and, and the well, you children know, I think parents really need to take responsibility shadow i mean mm. We, we seem to be in a kind of caught in a thing that we blame the teachers and we blame even the government mm. for all sorts of things. But, you know, when we have children, we do have responsibilities as parents. And when our children are com getting to the age where they're becoming young adults, we need to have spent time talking with them before this to, to help them determine what would be a useful way forward in their lives. Some children are not ready to go to onto tertiary education. Sometimes they matriculate young at 17 or mm. 18 and they don't really know what they want to do, what degree they want to study, you know, what they see happening, you know, ahead of them. They're not ready for relationships, for all the kind of things that that next phase of life might offer them. So it could be helpful for them to spend a year doing something constructive mm. before they go. But in other, in other communities, obviously, as you said earlier, I mean, the, the cultural expectations of this child who has matriculated and has got into university. But you know, Shadow, I was just listening to the news headlines before we started speaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, the universities are already saying they're not taking any more applicants. And I just worry about wow. those matriculants who haven't been guided either by their teachers or by their parents, who haven't made an application to any tertiary institutions. And, you know, who may have matriculated and are, may end up not being able to go anywhere. And then how does one well, guide them? Exactly, because now if they, and, and they're not all in, because in, if, if they all lived in one community or in the same space, it's easy to address their issues. But uh, you don't know who they are. And then they, they're going to go and work, I suppose, or start well, looking I don't for jobs. They will be able to. I mean, that's, uh, the thing is that we have such major employment problems in South Africa, mm. unemployment problems, that um, there will be uh, thousands of young people who have matric that won't find a space at a university or a, even at an FET. So what are you going to do, Terry? Yes, <laughs> I'm, well, putting... I'm, I'm really interested in trying to um, find ways of getting the private sector companies to take on young people 
in a far more structured way. Mm. Um, you know, the new BEE codes, for example, uh, make provision for companies to to actually teach and, and, and to give skills development opportunities to unemployed black mm. children, for mm. example. Mm. So I think that, you know, there are ways in which, you know, structures can be created. Um, but, but, I mean, it's also going to be pie in the sky for thousands of children who are far from, you know, who are far from large towns or even small towns and where there are just those opportunities just won't be there. And then, you well, know, if one goes into, I mean, sometimes I, I, I travel a lot and in do, lots of different South African communities because mm -hmm. of my life, basically. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, to see young people and, and, and young men, you know, just turning to alcohol, for example, having nothing to do. One can imagine the depression that, it, that goes with that. Mm. And then that, you know, the only escape might be alcohol or in other communities it could be drugs. And that's bad for our country. It is very bad for, for our country and, and, and just bad for who we are as a people, as the a dignity, nation. the dignity of our people. Absolutely. But Terry, I, I, I then think something needs to, because I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, who needs to come to the party? Who, you know, because somebody, there's, there's an opportunity for an organization to, to start uh, uh, finding ways of empowering these young people. Because they've, they've, they can't get into tertiary and before they go into alcohol and all of that, I think there's an opportunity now to find like-minded people to find ways of, 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 of drawing them in and finding something for them to do or interesting them in, 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 in stuff. Yes, and I think it's, it, it's really important because it's also to do with the self-worth of that whole generation of young people that, um, you know, working with the private sector and creating opportunities um, doesn't just possibly help a young person financially but it also helps them in terms of their self-esteem mm. as you said their dignity as a human being because you know you can imagine having worked very hard to get matric having passed maybe under very difficult circumstances mm -hmm. not then not being able to get it or not not or getting into a university but not being able to get the money sure. together to study you know, it's, there are all sorts of pitfalls on the way. And that's also why I think that when we make such a big issue of matric, we, we kind of set our kids up. Um, we set those children up who are not going to be able to carry on in the way they'd want to for whatever reason. And we, it really behoves us to try and create alternative opportunities. I think we need a, a bigger conversation about this, um, yeah. you know, involving more other people because, it, you know, you've just painted a very sad picture of, of what may happen. And it also discourages other younger ones who are still going what primary school or have just started high school. And when they see somebody who was who they looked up to, who was who had done well, then they think, OK, if they can't find anything, why do I still bother? You know, Shadow, I, um, I also work a lot with unemployed young black graduates. There are hundreds of thousands of young black graduates yeah. who can't find employment. And I think the point you make is, is so important that, you know, what, what, in it, you know, what on earth is there um, for their younger brothers, sisters, cousins yes. to even want to work yes. hard at matric and yes. say, why should I do this if there's no... 
Look, I don't also want to paint an entirely gloomy picture. It's wonderful for them. No, but it's a reality, Terry. I mean, we've heard how the the largest number of un- unemployed people are young people they in, are. in the country. So, and this, and we're adding more now with this new lot that won't be able to go to tertiary institutions. Yes. And even those who've got matric but haven't got haven't done well enough to get into a tertiary or don't have money to go to tertiary are also going to find it extremely difficult to find work in the system definitely and that's why i think it's really important that we look at creative ways of creating um, an environment where there's something in it for business and there's something in it for the youngster to do something or re-look at learning learning we need to fix the whole system I think we need to fix the whole system. It's yeah. not working anymore. Yes, I know, I know. It's, it's not working very... anymore. Terry, I love talking to you. Thank yes. you so much for your time. Shadow, I was with you 18 years ago, and your little girl was a tiny baby. Well, that's why she's just finished. I know, matric. and I'm so delighted for you. So I don't want to end on a gloomy note. I would like to congratulate you. Oh, thank you, you so much, darling. Hard work. Thank you so much. You take care, and we'll talk again soon. Lovely. Thank you, Shadow. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Well, Terry Oakley-Smith, educational psychologist and founder of Man- and managing director of diversity. Yeah, we need a bigger conversation. We really do.